All right, welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. So I have a listener request in a way. It's actually my husband. Well, <laughs> but, I'm so glad he listens. Yes. That's good. <laughs> well, more like he came across some information and he was asking me some questions about capsaicin and spicy food and wanting to know the effects on metabolism. I think also GI, which we might have to do a different podcast on. So I thought we'd start tonight with talking about metabolism and things that affect our metabolism. Because you know what? I don't think we've ever done a deep dive here. And I thought that would be fun. Right. And metabolism was one of the things that this most simple definition of it is how your body converts what you eat and drink into energy. And so as we talk about this tonight, kind of keep that whole idea in mind. This is what your metabolism is, is how your body is converting what you're eating and drinking into your energy that you need every day to do all the things that we do, whether it's just breathing or, you know, exercising (laughs) or whatever. Right. Um, So stay with us tonight as we break down kind of those four parts of your metabolism and tell you about a very important part of your metabolism you might not be using. Well, we've had a little bit of a break here at the beginning of fall. My life is just crazy with (laughs) kids and marching band and competitions and you know, all of those things. So it's been nice to have a little bit of time off, but we are back at it, as, yes. especially as we kind of roll towards the holidays, towards New Year, and talking about your health and wellness goals. But we really, like you said, wanted to do a deep dive on metabolism because it is something that I think everybody assumes that metabolism is the most important thing in terms of your weight loss. Yes. And I think maybe it gets a little bit blown out of proportion. And then I also think, and maybe you've had these clients who say, I just have a slow metabolism. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Slow metabolism. And, and yeah, I mean, the calories in, calories out. And so it may not be as simple as we kind of make it seem or right. hear that it is sometimes too. And, right. and we, all, we all know those people who feel like, their metabolism is slow, they eat a little bit, they gain weight, and then they have their relatives or their friends who can eat cakes and pies and cookies and never gain a pound. Right, yeah. And why is that? Yes. Why is that? So I wanna get into that tonight. Yes, you've done some great research on this, so we're gonna follow your outline here. All right, so (laughs) we hear those statements, and you've heard them too. You know, if you don't eat breakfast, it slows your metabolism. As your husband asked about spicy foods or ice water or, you know, apple cider vinegar, um, (laughs) will that speed up your metabolism? Can you like break your metabolism? Can you just, you know, make it terrible? So what is true about metabolism? So tonight we're going to talk about the four parts of your metabolism. So you're going to think about these as out of 100%. (laughs) All of these these areas make up your metabolism. So the first is your basal metabolic rate. And you might see that abbreviated as BMR. Sometimes I'll see it abbreviated as resting metabolic rate. So RMR. Yep. They're they're pretty much one and the same. Mm -hmm. And that is the number of calories that you need 
for just your basic functions. So this is your heart beating, your brain functioning, your lungs, your breathing. This is your, your basal metabolic rate, even if you're in bed at night, is still cooking along. That's why I tell my clients, your basal metabolic rate is kind of like if you never got out of bed in the morning and you just laid there, you didn't eat, you didn't do right. anything, you didn't move. That's kind of like how much energy you're going to expend just to be there. Right. Right. Now, your, right, your basal metabolic rate or your resting metabolic rate varies from person to person, but maybe not as drastically as we sometimes think. Of course, your genetics play a role, mm-hmm. you know, as with everything, unfortunately. <laughs> We're learning um, more and more about that, yes. Right. <laughs> our age, our age plays a role. Um, mm-hmm. When I calculate calorie needs for patients in the hospital, part of that equation is age. Mm-hmm. So the older you are, that resting metabolic rate can drop a little bit. But we'll get more into that a little bit later on in terms of age. We do know that sleep may affect your resting metabolic rate. So if you're sleeping poorly, I saw a study today, I think on Medscape, I get that like daily digest Mm -hmm. that this less than five hours of sleep is downright dangerous for people. So if you are sleeping less than five hours a night, you got to address it. Yeah. For so many reasons, not only for your metabolism and your weight, but your heart and your brain. And, and we used to, you know, we always said, you know, that eight hours of sleep a a night is eight hours of sleep is ideal. You know, I think somewhere in the seven to eight hour range they're saying is, is okay, but five hours or less is not enough. So I will post a link to that study in our show notes, but that is a downright scary study because I know people who sleep less than five hours a night regularly. And think they were fine, but the, mm-hmm. I think what that study was showing, I, I think it's the same study that I remember hearing about this week too, and it's it takes seven hours for you to cycle enough through the cycles of sleep so that you reset all those hormones is what mm-hmm. it was looking at. So right, right. those hunger hormones, it- not just hunger though, but it's, you know, it's every other like process in the body, you know, needs right. that rest. Right. Uh, and we know again, that lack of rest is just bad for everything. Mm-hmm. So sleep can affect that hormones, um, you know, as women change as they get older those types of things can affect our resting metabolic rate muscle mass i think this is very interesting of course we know men have higher muscle mass than women most Mm -hmm. of the time and it's one of the reasons that sometimes it may feel a little easier for men to lose weight because they have a little bit more muscle mass we'll talk about that as we get into exercise but that definitely can affect um, your resting metabolic rate yeah. Of course, our body size. As I said, when I calculate needs for people in the hospital, I not only use their age, but I use their weight in pounds. Yeah. And believe it or not, and this is really hard for people to understand sometimes, the larger body that you live in, the more calories you actually need to function. Now, this is very difficult because I think there's an impression that if you put people in larger bodies on low enough calories, that that's fine. That's right. okay to do. Yes. And that's not. And it's 
really not. It's not. (laughs) Right. Right. And I think there's an impression, too, is that if you lose weight, you should get to eat more calories. And believe it or not, the opposite Opposite is true. true. And to me, that is one of the great unfairnesses of life. (laughs) Right. If you've worked hard, you've lost weight, now you have to eat less to maintain it. And we know that from all kinds of studies. This Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons that weight loss is incredibly hard to maintain because you have to eat less than you were when you were even losing weight. Right. To maintain that weight loss. And most people can't do it. And that's a biological function. We could go into that all day long. Why weight loss is really difficult to maintain. Yeah. That is, that's, uh, that's enough. To me, that is chalk right up with unfair things. Right. Yes. (laughs) That's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then... And then, of course, now we also think that maybe gut bacteria plays a role. And I am not an expert in our microbiome by any stretch of the I don't think anybody is yet. <laughs> no, I think we're all still sort of fumbling around. But right. there's a possibility that research will find that our gut bacteria, which could be affected by our genetics and our diet and mm. our environment, right. uh, very well could have yes. um, some type of effect on our metabolic rate. Right. And we don't know what that is. It's like people are like jumping on the bandwagon of gut bacteria. And it's like, I can't tell you if that's going to be good for you or not good for you. You know? Right. Uh, Yeah. So when you have, when you have clients talk about their resting metabolic rate, what are some of the questions that you get? Yeah. I kind of tried to explain it that this calculation is something that's based on your age, your height, your weight, the fact that you're a male versus a female or, you know, those types of things mm-hmm. all play a role into this number. And this number is just the basic number of how many calories you burn. I think what's surprising to most of my clients is how high that number is. Yes, it is. Yeah. And yes, because you know, you might calculate somebody's basal metabolic rate or resting metabolic rate at 16 or 1800 calories. Right. And they say, but I'm supposed to be eating 1200 calories. Exactly. No, actually you're not. Right. And I always explain to everyone is, that is your number you actually do not want to eat less than. That, right. that is that number that is my main focus for you is if we want to create a deficit, we have to do it with exercise and activity so that we can create a deficit that doesn't take you less than that basal metabolic number. Right. Because again, that is the, you know, and, and what we know is that people who do eat well under that mm-hmm. are sluggish. They're tired. Right. They are their bodies conserve that energy. Right. And and they these are the folks and you have them too where you sometimes say, I don't think you're eating enough. Right. Right. So I think a couple of things happen with a lot of the clients that I see that are under eating is number one, they're just really struggling and unable to lose weight and they're not they're not seeing weight loss because they're not eating enough and their body is protecting them and saving mm-hmm. them by putting them into a starvation mode, right? So, because it's like, wait a minute, you're not giving me enough. And then I think the second thing I see is for people who do that is they will listen to their body and their body will be screaming at them to eat more and they binge eat. They get mm-hmm. into eating and eating too much at one time because they're, they just... 
they're starving themselves so much they can't control it. And so they they have that issue. So there are a couple things that can happen when you go too low and neither one of them are great. Right. Yeah. Right. So the second part of our metabolism is called the thermic effect of food. You might see this abbreviated if you're reading an article as TEF. Uh, And this is the amount of energy that our bodies expend that is used to digest food. About five to 15% of the total calories that we eat are burned by our body to digest that food. So if you're eating 2000 calories a day, about 100 to 300 of those calories are used by your body to process that food. Very interesting piece of information. We're gonna talk about this later. Protein has a greater thermic effect of food than fat and carbs. Does that mean that we should be eating only protein? Stay tuned, we'll talk about that. But I think this is something that is under, people don't think about the thermic effect of food right. uh, when they're thinking about, but it's, but it's not a lot and you can't right. lose weight by using the thermic effect of food. Right. Because you're eating food. Right. Uh, you're eating calories. You're going to burn 5 to 15% of that total calorie. But it's not a huge amount when we talk about your daily calorie burn. Right. Yeah. Um, we'll talk more about the thermic effect of food here in a minute. The third part is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And this is abbreviated as NEAT. And I think it's neat. So I think this is a good way to remember it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about more and more in depth as we go along here this evening. But this is any t- activity that is an activity but is not purposeful exercise. So this could be, you know, standing in line with the grocery, putting away your laundry, uh, maybe running up and down the stairs at work. This can be a really huge contributor to calorie burn in a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe your job depends on you to be fairly active. Like, right. Yeah. Right. And we all know those people yeah. who kind of don't sit down. Yeah. Those people that are, I, I think I heard the term once, scurriers. They're kind of all <laughs> over the place and they, they don't spend a lot of time sitting. And, and in a lot of ways, we see from research, they have an easier time controlling their weight because there's not a lot of sitting. Yep. And we'll talk more about that. Yeah. And then finally is where, and I think this is an area that gets too much credit yes. for our metabolism is exercise. Exercise, yep. And I think we blow up exercise as the way to increase your metabolism. And, and to be fair, if you're building muscle, yes, you are going to burn more calories than if you have lots of fat. But the issue is it's not this huge difference. It's six calories versus two calories. Right. So it's not... You can't, you know, right. You can't rely on exercise to be the only way to lose weight. But this does not mean there's no benefit to exercise. And we'll talk about that, of course. Yes. Yes. So back to those, that, that thermic effect of food. And this is where I think Tim was very interested. Yes. (laughs) Um, The spicy food, thermic effect. Spicy food (laughs) and negative calorie foods. We've all heard of negative calorie foods. Right. So is this a myth? What do you, when you had, did you had clients ask about negative calorie foods? What do you tell them? No, it's not, it's not a thing. Don't worry about, there's no such thing as a negative calorie. So 
I guess I've never really, you know, looked at it that hard until tonight. But I, you know, yeah, the thing is, is you said here, like a a cucumber has eight calories and a half of a cup. And if Mm -hmm. in order to metabolize that, you're using about half of a calorie, right? right? So it's, it's, so even a cucumber, you're still not going to be at a negative deficit for eating that, right? Right. Now, of course, that's incredibly low in calories. Right. And cucumbers (laughs) are not contributing to weight gain. No. Of course. (laughs) But there is no evidence to show that negative calorie foods help burn your fat or increase your metabolism. It doesn't work that way. Right. And of course, we've already mentioned that metabolism, yes, does rise just a little bit after we eat any food. Mm -hmm. But that is what happens when we digest food it's not burning fat right Uh, that's just not the way it works and of course you know some people say well but celery and cucumbers will help you lose weight and they might right but maybe not for the negative calorie food reason you talk about that high fiber content that we find in fruits and vegetables the high water content right yes they may have low calories right and your body but your body is not expending more calories to digest celery and cucumbers than it's burning right or than you're eating i should say right so you're not putting yourself in a calorie deficit by eating celery now you might be filling yourself up right again that high fiber high water content but you are not actually increasing your metabolism exactly right the fibers slowing down the digestion taking longer for it to go through your system it's all a benefit to be eating these, you know, produce in general is not a lot of calories. And so comparatively, I guess the way to look at it is you could look at it is, is the thermo, I mean, the thermodynamic effect is still, I guess is still about 10% of what you're consuming, right? Right. So it's not, yeah, it's not, it's just not significant. It's just not important. And it's like we get hung up on these things. And um, the important thing I think for me and what I tell my clients is that we're consuming more fruits and vegetables uh, because they are lower calories. So that helps us to make us feel full without giving us a lot of calories but is it a negative calorie? Absolutely not. No, no. And same things with things like chili peppers that capsaicin your husband asked about, green tea. Um, I've even heard people say, oh, drink ice water. And I guess technically that's a negative calorie food because ice water has no calories, water calories. Yeah. And your body would have to use energy to warm up that water, I guess. But what we what we know is maybe it's about five calories a glass. Right. You know, spicy yeah. food might increase your metabolism by two calories an hour for five ca- five hours, so about ten calories. Right. Again, ten this is calories. It. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> Remember, so, the basal metabolic rate is like we said was you know fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred. You know. Right. <laughs> Literally a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the bucket. Right. So when you see articles that talk about, and you see them everywhere, talk about eating spicy food, eat eat the hot stuffs to help burn calories, you'd have to eat a whole lot of this stuff. Right. And you would eat more calories. Like if you're, you know, eating (laughs) spicy peppers on 
your food, well, you're still eating the food, you right. know, it, it, it would, it, it's, it's just silliness. Yes. So, you yeah. know, if you like ice water, great. Right. Do you, are you going to lose weight drinking ice water? You might, you might drink, lose weight drinking more water because again, that's right. a beneficial thing to do for weight loss is to drink more water. Right. Right. But it has nothing to do with the temperature of the water. Right. Or the calories you burn because of that. Yeah. I also didn't really realize what's in those fat burner supplements. I didn't really know this because I don't look at those labels very often. Typically, they're a combination of hot peppers, caffeine, and chromium. And all of these things may be, again, (laughs) a temporary raise, a small one in terms of your metabolism but very small and unlikely to do anything for you so don't spend your money on fat burn or something right right well and okay so let's let's this is a little off the side a little bit but what those five-hour energy drinks those make me crazy too because it's not giving you energy most of those don't even have any calories in them Right? right, they're B vitamins. They're B vitamins. Right. They're things that help with your metabolism, but they don't give you energy. And they act like you need to drink this to give you energy. Calories give you energy. That's it. Right. So, those... remember what metabolism is. Right, metabolism it's is the process that your body uses to convert what we eat and drink into energy. Right. Not the five-hour supplement. It. Uh, drink into right. energy so any of these That's supplements yeah they're just they're not they're not helping you burn calories necessarily or anything like that it's just a temporary boost a temporary some, yeah and that's all yeah yep yeah so i thought it was interesting and maybe this is some of the research behind high protein diets and their success in weight loss is that protein does have a higher thermic effect of food than fat Mm -hmm. and carbohydrates yeah and so the question is if protein takes more calories to digest should we just eat all protein so what do you say when you hear somebody saying i'm going to eat more protein to lose weight how do you handle that right right well one of my habits that i talk to all of my clients about is making sure when you sit down to eat you do have protein present But with the caveat that that is not, you know, it's part of a balanced plate. So you've got not just protein, but you've got carbs, you've got a little bit of fat, you've got produce with fiber, there's all these things there, right? So it's not just protein that you're eating, because what's going to happen, I'll bet you anything if you really check in with yourself, is you are not going to feel satisfied if you're just eating protein. Because guess what? The body's preferred fuel source is carbohydrates. And so I am never satisfied if I just eat protein, you know? And so I just don't feel like, I don't know. It's just something about it. It just doesn't make me feel like I got what I needed or something. So here's a confession. Okay. Sometimes when I'm very busy in the morning, I don't get breakfast here at home. And I will grab a protein shake and drink it either in the car or at my desk while I'm trying to get my life together in the morning. Mm-hmm. I am hungrier sooner, and this is just me, even though it has 30 grams of protein in it, it's mm-hmm. very low carb. 
-hmm. I am hungrier sooner than if I sit down in the morning to eggs and toast. Right. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, of course, it's more calories. The eggs and toast is more calories, and that's maybe more satisfying. Mm -hmm. But I think it's that mixed protein meal, mixed protein carb meal is more satisfying. Because I would think, well, if I just ate the protein, I shouldn't be hungry. Right. But I find myself hungrier sooner than I expect. Right. Because I didn't have enough carbohydrate to balance it out. Exactly. Exactly. So Uh, I think it's okay to sometimes use a protein shake with a meal. Yeah. But I think, especially if you just don't feel like cooking, Mm -hmm. but maybe that shouldn't be your meal. Right. Grab an apple, grab a piece of fruit with it, right? Right. Fruit is carbohydrates. So if you just had like a little piece of fruit with your protein bar, I bet you'd, that's like 50 calories is not even a lot of calories. Mm -hmm. And it would probably satisfy you a little bit longer than right. just that protein shake or right. just a piece of cheese or whatever it is. And then I right. get people who do that and I, I find that they are more grazing and grazing, grazing, grazing. Like the people who are trying the keto approach, yeah. they tend to eat probably a little more often and eating protein only. And I right. I tell my clients, if you're going, you, you really should be able to go three or four hours without eating. And so right. making sure you have carbs and protein will help satisfy that and get you yes. a little bit fuller longer. And I love your approach of making sure people have protein with eating with each meal and snack. Uh, I use the kind of phrase, I think we talked about this before, that kind of that stick to your ribs type of snack. Yeah. I think a lot of times we try to eat just a piece of fruit or just right. a bag of carrots. Yeah, you know, so this, because we're trying to be good, right? And the same and goes really the other other direction. Yeah, right. If you so, do. you know, a mixed diet is more satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more nutritious, and mm-hmm. I think that in the end, you're more satisfied. Hundred percent. Because I do. I see the same thing happen in snacks in the afternoon. Somebody's like trying to lose weight, so they're just going to do a piece of fruit, but then they're hungrier sooner. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, it just makes me hungry when I have a snack, so I'm just not going to do anything. Chances are they're usually not eating protein with their carbs in the afternoon. They're just reaching for a bag of pretzels. They're just reaching for a piece of fruit. And there's no protein with those carbs. But when you have them both, it's like magic. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So on to meal timing. And this is something I hear frequently. (laughs) Skipping breakfast, eating breakfast eating late at night, not eating late at night. So what are your thoughts? So here's the thing. I, I talk to, usually when I talk to a client, I have them tell me what a typical day looks like. And we talk through that. And one of the habits that I always talk to my clients about is eating consistently throughout the day. And I think I have made a mistake in the way I sometimes per you know, talk about that is that it, it helps with metabolism. I guess from what, you know, we were researching here, it, it may not really change your metabolism. So you were talking earlier about the thermodynamic effect of food. And in my mind, and I don't know, maybe it was some research 20 years ago, but when you eat more frequently during the day, it makes sense that you're increasing your metabolism a little bit to digest that food 
so that you would be burning more calories. And so, you know, but I think more recent research is showing us that maybe it really doesn't matter those calories, if they don't don't happen throughout the day, maybe they happen once or twice in two bigger meals instead of four or five times a day, then you're still going to burn the same amount of calories to process and digest those calories. So right. that doesn't matter. But I will say the thing that I have realized with a lot of clients is when they don't eat that breakfast and they don't eat during the day very much at all and most of their calories are coming in the evening that's when we get that out of control eating can't Mm -hmm. stop eating get home from work and I'm eating everything and when all like when two-thirds of your calories that you need in a day are happening at night Mm -hmm. then what happens is that it it's 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 causing us to overeat and be out of control because we don't care then at that point what we're eating. I know I don't right. care when I get that hungry. Right. And and so you got right. behind on your eating all day and then you eat so much at night and then in the morning you wake up and you're not hungry. It's like this vicious cycle that happens. So Right. I mean, and the other thing about it is we know that the hungrier you are, so let's say you are missing meals regularly, the less discerning you are about your choices. Right. You know, when you're super hungry, think about back to a time when you've been super hungry, listeners. Do you calmly cook a meal with <laughs> fruits and vegetables or do you fall face first into a pizza? <laughs> and even if the pizza is not very good. Or DoorDash. Sorry. Or DoorDash. <laughs> Do it, maybe it's not very good, but it tastes amazing because you needed calories. Right. Right. Um, and then you can't stop eating it. We don't make. <laughs> right. And we don't. And we don't make the greatest choices sometimes. And this is the other thing we talk about: eating late at night. Your metabolism. Remember, I talked about it, your metabolic rate doesn't shut down when you go to bed. Right. Your brain is still functioning. You're still breathing. Hopefully, your heart is <laughs> right. still beating. We hope. And your metabolic rate is still cooking along, even though you're in bed. So right. eating late at night, does there is no research to show that you're, you know, the factory workers go home at 7 p.m. and that you have no metabolism after 7 p.m. I, I remember hearing a commercial that was played frequently on local radio where, where I work for a diet supplement. And what they had you do in this diet supplement, I can't even remember the brand. It was so stupid. But it, they would have you drink a, like, drink a shake or a supplement with your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, or take a pill or something like that. And then don't eat three hours before bedtime. Okay, so I can identify why people lose weight. <laughs> right. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the pill. It has everything to do with the fact that people don't make great decisions at night about what they eat. Right. Especially when they've skipped meals during the day. Right. It's your neuropeptide Y, it's your serotonin levels, Mm -hmm. and all of those things, especially neuropeptide Y, Mm -hmm. calls for carbs. Mm -hmm. Um, Your hunger hormones peak at about 7 o'clock at night. So again, if you've been under eating all day, so and I've seen clients like this, you've seen them too, you know, 150 calories for lunch, 150 calories for breakfast, 1400 calories at dinner. Right. 
that's not good. That's not a good pattern. And so I think that's where when we, you know, we've talked about that national weight control registry, people who have lost weight, kept it off significant amount of weight, and they've been able to sustain that weight loss. What we know is the majority of those people are breakfast eaters. And so Mm -hmm. they are breaking their fast in the morning, they're eating, and they're eating throughout the day. So that's why I feel very passionate that this is an important habit for people to have. And another thing with, and even if you cut yourself eating, like off eating three hours before bedtime, but majority of your calories are coming at night, that's still probably not ideal. We still want you to eat throughout the day to be in better control of that meal like you mentioned you're just not going to make the best decisions so that brings us to our other topic of intermittent fasting and i tell you what i mean there are more studies about intermittent fasting now i think than anything you know it used to be all low carb studies now it's all intermittent fasting yeah there is some research to show that this might help keep metabolism from slowing down but it's not going to necessarily speed it up. Okay. So if you want to intermittently fast and this works for your life and you don't feel deprived and you don't feel miserable and you have the energy that you need and you feel comfortable with that, I'm, I guess, okay with that. I'm not not sure I'm thrilled with the, I'm not sure I'm thrilled with like the day long fasts, but if you want to fast, for 16 hours a day and eat during eight hours a day, I guess, have at it. Yeah, and what I think is interesting is some of the people that I've found that are eat intermittent fasting and having success with it, they actually are eating as soon as they can, like during that eight hour window. So it's, it's right. they're eating throughout that eight hour window instead right. of not eating and eating all of their calories once in the day, right? Right, having like one big meal a day, exactly. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and we also taught you, so we used to talk about kind of six small meals and, you know, to kind of maximize that thermic effect of food. Right. However, what we find is sometimes people eat six small meals, they're eating six, not small meals, but medium-sized meals, yeah. <laughs> or larger meals, and there is no research to show that that's necessarily superior right. um, in terms of metabolism. Right. But then we get along with dieting, and this is something that can absolutely slow your metabolism. And as I said at the outset, this is one of the most unfair thing, I think, in whole life, <laughs> is that when we lose fat... Our hormones will slow our metabolism to conserve energy, and our hunger hormones work against us when we lose fat. This is our evolution at work to keep us having, you know, weight on for the next famine. So you do need less energy. You need fewer calories when you're in a smaller body. So if you want to lose weight without drastically slowing that metabolism, this is where exercise can be helpful. But you also have to be careful not to over-restrict calories. So, again, eating below that resting metabolic rate is bad news, especially if you're trying to exercise. Right. Yes. Because otherwise, when you exercise in a starvation mode, your body will be utilizing fat and muscle. And so you'll be breaking down muscle, not maintaining muscle, which is what you want. That's why a slower decline 
if you're trying to lose weight, half of a pound a week, a pound a week, you know, let's set up some real ex- realistic expectations here uh, is right. probably and- better. And we know it's better in the long run for right. maintaining that weight loss. Let's say you've worked really hard. You've lost a bunch of weight. You want to be able to maintain it. Right. And your body's going to fight to get you back to that previous weight. So you want to do some things to help that not happen. It may still happen, but you want to do some things. So again, exercise is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, eating more protein, not overly restricting your calories. And I know we've all seen, you know, popular television shows where people lose a lot of weight really quickly. And they've done studies like, with biggest loser contestants yeah um that showed that because of the ridiculous rate these people lost weight they actually did negatively affect their metabolism and right that took a long time to recover and may not fully ever recover right. their metabolism right because you can actually lose weight too quickly right and we have yeah And we have research to show that. Right. We have research that shows that when you eat less than your basal metabolic rate, that your rate can adjust, especially if it's a long period of time of doing that, right? Right. And that these people were, again, exercising crazy amounts. Right. uh, Right. On top of that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, as I mentioned, our, our age at the outset does help to, unfortunately, slow down our metabolism. But again... Maybe not as much as we used to think. Yeah. So you had mentioned this kind of in your training as a dietitian that we were all kind of taught, and me too, that, you know, that magic number of 40 hits mm-hmm. and all right. of a sudden our metabolism <laughs> just kind of trails off. Right. I'd like, I was living with that going, well, this is why. <laughs> right. Me too. Yeah. At the age of 40, I'm having more trouble. Right. But I'm starting to think that maybe it's the fact that I'm not moving as much maybe as when I'm, because I'm 40 and my kid is busy and I'm, you know, helping to take care of family and mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't have maybe as good eating habits as I did because I'm busier. We, you know, there was a study in 2021 with again, 6,000 participants. So it's a good size study showing points of life when metabolism changes. So of course, birth to age one, lots of growth, kids, especially one to 20, we see again, you know, you think about those teenage boys that can just eat anything they want. Right. Um, and they have, because they again, have a higher metabolic rate than girls. And then that ages 20 to 60, that your metabolic rate actually remains relatively the same. So if you do find you're gaining weight during this time period, it could be a combination of things. It could be a history of chronic dieting that's kind of messed with things. Uh, it could be, you know, again, you're just a little bit less active. Maybe you have a job that requires you to be in the car several hours a day and sitting mm-hmm. several hours a day. Um, maybe, again, you are very busy and you find you're eating in restaurants more because your kids are busy and you're doing fast food more. Right. So there's no necessarily research to show that that metabolic rate just turns off when you turn 40. That's not your 40th birthday present. Let's put it right. that way. Yes. I think that's and interesting. Then, an interesting find there. Yeah. And then as we get older, yes, our metabolism slows down by a little less than a percent per year. But that's because our organs have fewer energy requirements. 
I also think this is very interesting. This is also a time of life when it doesn't necessarily lead to weight gain. And the reason being is that people over 60 tend to sort of naturally compensate by eating less. And we've all seen those little 90-year-old ladies, I see them in the (laughs) hospital all the time, who are very satisfied with their half a sandwich and their small bowl of soup. Right. And that's enough calories for them, you know? Yeah. And sometimes their resting metabolic rates are really low. Like I calculate, you know, some little old lady of, you know, five foot foot tall and 98 pounds, she might have a resting metabolic rate that is... 800, 900 calories. Now, does that mean she should be eating 800, 900 calories? No. That means that's just her resting metabolic rate, and that's much lower than it was when she was 40. Right. 30. Yeah. And again, it's slowing down as she aged. Yep. Yeah. So can you break your metabolism? No. (laughs) Nope. And there will be websites that will sell you things to fix your metabolism for you. Keep in mind they're selling something. Right. You can't break it. You have unless you die, your metabolism will continue to work. So you right. can't break it. And then finally tonight, I do want to spend some time on this non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So this neat. Because I think this is super neat. So Tell me some of the things you do for your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and I'll tell you more. Oh, personally, I try not to sit for long periods of time during the day. Now that I'm working home most of the time, my job never kind of transitioned back to an office uh, on a regular basis. So, you know, I'll just make sure that I get up and move. And I, you know, if I have to go to the bathroom and I'm working upstairs in my office, I will use the bathroom downstairs or, you know what I mean? I'll go up and downstairs. I will, uh, I have a standing desk. So I go back and forth between sitting and standing during the day so that I'm not sitting all day long. Mm-hmm. I am not by any means though, any of those types of people I've got you know, clients who are on their feet all day, uh, you know, working in a job that requires them to be on their feet all day. Uh, But that's the type of thing that you're talking about, right? So if you don't have a job where you're on your feet all day, what can you do to make sure that you get up and move? I've even gone so far as setting a timer. If I know I'm going to be involved in a project that I will set a timer so I'm at least getting up every 45 minutes to an hour, taking a break and getting up out of my chair and doing something else. Right. So those are the types of things I guess I'm doing for NEAT. How about you? Uh, You know, I'm um, somebody, my husband says this, like I I don't sit down at night. Uh I like, I mean, I, I feel like I'm always up doing something. I'm either cleaning or uh, vacuuming or uh, (laughs) I'll even, you know, I'll even be somebody who tends to get up like during commercial breaks and go do something. Yep. Sometimes I think I have, feel like I have a little bit of like an attention issue because I feel like I'm always just sort of getting up and doing something. Yeah. Now work is where I'm in trouble. And I am because I find that I spend a lot of time charting and so I'm sitting a lot. Yeah. I do like my Apple Watch that it reminds me to get up. 
Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things that I'm trying to do more of is to get up and do the stairs to the patient floors. There's no reason. Right. I always just say the elevator is broken. I'll just do the stairs. <laughs> right. I um, always take stairs. Yep. When I'm out and um, about. Get, get up, mm-hmm. get up and go get, go all the way down to the cafeteria and get water for tea. Mm-hmm. Um, go up and down the stairs an extra time before I leave. Uh, walk out to the car. Oh, I forgot something in my car. I got to walk out to the car midday and get something that I forgot in my car. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm trying to do some of that. The yeah. other thing is I do a lot of like, I'll listen to webinars and I'll get up and sort of march in place. I do don't the same my, thing. Don't look yes. at my office because I'm probably <laughs> marching in place in my office uh-huh. while I'm listening to the webinar. I hate to sit and listen to webinars. Oh, I, I do too. Yeah. I just, I, I've gotten to the point where I do that too. Yes. Right. I and even I, for a while had an eight pound weight at my desk. <laughs> Nice. Um, and I would like sit and do bicep curls during <laughs> webinars. Again, I just I can't stand to sit and listen to them. I need to be right. Active. Right. Yeah. Nice. I just thought of some other things that I do like on the weekends and things like that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very much like you said, like trying just trying to stay busy, you know, cleaning and doing stuff. Uh, so I'm not sitting too long. I go to the grocery store. I actually go to the grocery store myself and I walk up and down every aisle. And you right. might be surprised to learn that a dietitian is walking up and down the aisles, every aisle of the grocery store, but it gets me more steps. Right. And so, so anyway, yeah. So I like. I've been, I've been trying to carry a basket or a bag rather than pushing a cart. Mm, okay. And now it limits what I can buy. I was going to say, I couldn't do that because I like to but, only go once a week. Which is probably good. <laughs> it was probably good at a place like Aldi where I tend to buy things that I don't need if I have limited space in the thing that I'm carrying. Yeah. But that's one of the things, I, and I will say this has been one of the issues with grocery pickup for me. I love grocery pickup. Yeah. I love the convenience of it. Mm-hmm. But it is one less opportunity for me to be active. Right. When I was grocery shopping for myself, Mm-hmm. I am I am more active yeah. when I'm out and about. Yep. So that's something that, you know, if you're looking for a way to maximize your calorie burn and you either aren't ready to have a – and even this can be an addition to the exercise that you're doing. Yeah, hopefully so it is an addition right, to it. <laughs> right. So if you're getting and you're doing some weightlifting or you're walking a couple miles a day, purposeful exercise – then look at what else you are, are doing during the day. This is one of the mm-hmm. reasons that I gained weight during my marathon training. A lot of people do because I would go out and run 5, 10, 15, 20 miles, and I would be so tired <laughs> that I wouldn't do a whole lot the rest of the day. Right. Okay. And, and understandably so. I've done 20 right. miles. I should be tired. Yeah. But I would also eat all the things because I was hungry. <laughs> from all the calories that I had burned. So I was hungry and I was trying to make up for that. And I wasn't very active throughout the day. Now, does that mean I don't think people should train for marathons? Absolutely not. But I think you have to think about when you are training for a marathon, Mm -hmm. how can you stay somewhat active, maybe not on your long run days, but maybe the days after. Yeah. That, you know, kind of, you know, you might genuinely be very tired on your long run Mm -hmm. day but the day after can you get some of that non-exercise activity thermogenesis so you can take advantage of that right right and that's why I sometimes if I have a client who's not doing exercise at all I'll start with the neat neat calories first let's just get your lifestyle so that you're 
focused on moving more often during the day and we'll eventually add exercise to that but we are going to add exercise we're not going to replace right so and even if you have a job where you are on your feet all day your body will get used to that right so that doesn't mean you shouldn't exercise too it means you've got your neat calories covered but you should also focus on doing some purposeful exercise right. too for that benefit. but it doesn't have to be hours it doesn't have know? to be hours right. yes right. no so yeah. maybe if you're thinking about weight loss and metabolism how to maximize things think about where you can be more active in your daily life independent of exercise if you want to exercise too that's wonderful I and mean, we should mm-hmm. for other reasons Mm-hmm. But in terms of weight loss and weight control, it's really a lot of that daily activity. They've even done studies on people who fidget. Yeah. And people who fidget burn a lot of calories. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean I think you should sit around and fidget all day if that's not your thing, if you're not spending fidgets right. naturally. But fidgeting, believe it or not, burns a tremendous amount of calories. I know. I try and do that sometimes. Right. Just again to kind of. Right. So again, if weight is concerned to you and again, you feel like you've been exercising and those type of things, you're not Mm -hmm. seeing the scale move. Maybe this is an area to focus on. How can you be more active in your daily life? Right. So I have an article from the National Academy of Sports Medicine on meat, which we'll put in the show notes so you can get some ideas. They have some try this kind of meat um, activities (laughs) of how you can also, and there's other things, of course, online kind of ideas of what you can do. So fantastic. Thank you. This has been great. You are quite quite welcome. (laughs) If you have questions about metabolism, you can uh, reach us at dish at secretliferd.com. And you can also reach us on the in, on Instagram at the Secret Life Dietitians. Laura's been posting some additional things there, so kind of check out check those things out as well. And we will see you next time wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>